growing up, I always wanted to see more people who look like me that were successful. Can I afford to take a risk to follow my dreams? We are excited to bring you the Make Your Mark podcast, hosted by philanthropist Kim Niles. The Make Your Mark podcast allows you to hear personal stories of resilience by professionals and public figures of color. Our guests unapologetically share their triumphs, lessons learned, and how they found balance in their experiences. Tune in to equip yourself with strategies and coping mechanisms on how to boldly make your mark. Subscribe and listen now. Hello and welcome to the Make Your Mark show. My name is Kim Niles and I'm going to be your host for today. We've got a powerhouse here in the house, Dr. Natasha Williams, registered psychologist with the College of Psychologists and the co-director of Allied Psychological Services. Welcome to the show, Natasha. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I reached out to her literally on Good Friday. <laughs> I was like, okay, Kim, stop being a creep. Like, it's, it's Good Friday. No one's working right now. And you responded so quickly to me. Yes. So thank you for that. Oh, no problem. Um, and you were actually tagged when we put out um, a post, you know, who are people that people would want to see? Mm-hmm. And you got tagged in it. And then people, so people are watching you. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. You, sometimes we always feel like we're not being heard or no one's listening. But no. They're listening. You're not 100 percent sure sometimes, yeah. but it's it's a blessing, so it's great. Awesome. So, Natasha, there's so when I read your bio, <laughs> I was like, okay, you know, I, I go every day, right? So I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, and I'm like, I'm like, geez, I can't. You need to slow down. But then I read your bio. <laughs> I was like, all right, I ain't doing so bad. Oh dear, because <laughs> girl, you are. I I just love everything that you're about and all the work that you're doing. In, our community. So I'm going to pass it over to you because you're going to do a way better job telling that story than I am. Okay. So, so in terms of what I'm doing, oh my goodness, uh, where do I start? So maybe we'll start with uh, Allied Psychological Services. So I'm a registered psychologist. I've been a psychologist now for 13 years. And we've just started a clinic uh, called Allied Psychological Services. So we're at Young and Eglinton and we offer a variety of services. Most importantly, though, is is that we come from an anti-oppressive framework, which means I have really taken the time and energy to make sure that this clinic is a safe space so that not only our community, but anyone in general can come in, feel safe to start to process some of their issues and the problems that they are having and are facing. And a lot of times within our community in particular, we find we don't have those safe spaces, Uh, especially when we're starting to talk about mental health and mental illness. If we actually feel open enough to actually reach out, unfortunately, what I've been hearing from community is, is that they don't have the safe space or they're going somewhere and and they're being re-traumatized again. So what has been important for me for my entire career, but in particular as as the co-director of Allied Psychological Services, is, is that we've curated a safe space so that people can come and be able to not only just discuss their problems, but process and work through them, but also we have a wide range of clinicians. So we have clinicians 
from our community, as well as from other ethno-racial communities. And that's been very important for me as well, so that they can come in and community can, can, can see themselves. And that's been a huge thing for me. So That's amazing. So I am going to just, I think we need to defog this right here. Because right. I did this on the call yesterday with you, right. where I called you a psychiatrist. Right, right. Right? So <laughs> what is the difference, just for our viewers Absolutely. to know, because I think we get it twisted and we'll, we'll call the two the same, but they're very different right. worlds. Yes. What is the difference between the, a psychologist and a psychiatrist? Okay, so both, first of all, both of us, we do have a very similar scope of practice. Now, a psychiatrist is a medical doctor. So they go to medical school and from there, what they'll do is they'll stream and then they will focus on mental health, mental illness, but more from a medication perspective, from that scientific medication perspective. So a lot of times the main role or the primary role of the psychiatrist is to manage medication. There are some that do psychotherapy as well, but usually they're primary primary role is to manage medications. Now, my psychiatric sisters and brothers have wait lists like you wouldn't believe. Wow. Um, I'm hearing anywhere between six to nine months to almost a year to get in to see a psychiatrist. And a lot of times, literally, it is in and out. It's, you know, how's the medications, how are things going, and then that's it. The other thing that differentiates us is, is that since psychiatrists are medical doctors, they are covered by our Ontario health program. So they are covered by OHIP. By comparison, for example, myself, I'm a clinical psychologist, so I also have a doctorate as well. I am a doctor as well, but I have a clinical psychology doctorate. So I have a PsyD, and we can talk a little bit about that type of degree later. But um, So I do have a doctorate as well. And again, our scope of practices are similar. I'm able to also diagnose and treat mental illness. What I call myself is a scientific practitioner. So which means I'm looking at what is the basis of behavior. And I've studied for, I, it took me about a 10, 11 years to receive my doctorate to actually be able to do this. The other piece is, is that I've also been very well trained and versed in psychotherapeutic practices. So they're not only just counseling, but how to heal and repair uh, using a lot of that scientific and, and basic knowledge about upbringing and, and, and those types of things. So the primary difference between us is that uh, I'm not a medical doctor and B, I don't prescribe medication. Okay. So now, and I want to be very politically correct Absolutely. because within our community, it's not something we like to talk about. Mm -hmm. We do not like to talk about mental health. We don't like talk saying we have a mental illness. Right. We don't want to put that plaque upon ourselves. Right. So how has that been for you being a psychologist now having to open up those doors to our community and them coming in, first of all, with an open mind right. or, and, and has there been times where people have say been prescribed to you mm. and then it, you, the, getting past that was just right the, the, the block that was there. Right. So I think our community, it's been evolving. I'll say that much. Now, again, being in it for 13 years, I think I've seen the, the progressive um, nature of, of what we're seeing in terms of mental health, mental illness in our community. Not saying that the stigma is not real and it's not very strong still, but what I'm seeing is a bit of a pro progression where I'm seeing that we want to have the dialogue. I think our community is really starting to understand something is off. We can't be hiding this any longer and actually hide 
hiding this and, and having this in silence is actually killing us. So we need to get a better understanding of this dialogue. But I think what we want to do is we want to, we want to actually control the dialogue. Mm -hmm. as well. And I think that's the important piece. Whereas for years, unfortunately, what's been happening is, is that we've had other communities curating the dialogue for us and superimposing their views upon our community. And what we think we need, what we need to do now is to take control of that narrative, helping us to understand how mental illness plays in our community. And our hope is, is that to have our community heal our community. So it's having more of us as psychologists, as therapists, as healers within the community, helping the community. So what I've seen over the years is, is that the, the community is starting to come, but they're coming with multi-layer trauma. Because again, what they've been doing is, is that they've been going to other hospitals or other therapists who don't look like us, and those therapists don't understand us. So what happens is, is that a lot of stigma comes, comes into play, but a lot of racism and sexism is being forayed into the, into the psychotherapy, which is causing increased trauma. And then they're coming out even worse than they came in. So a lot of times, a lot of the clients that I have come in with skepticism and they come with walls. They see that we look alike or look similar, but they're still coming guarded. So a lot of it has been, how do we break down some of those blocks so that we can open up a space for healing? And that does take time, but once they're able to do that, the healing is incredible. Wow. I need to walk around with you every day. <laughs> Like, we need to be friends. Like, I'm just going to say it like that. We need to be friends. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. Uh, wow. Oh, my goodness. So, Natasha, that's only one aspect of what you do. Yes. Tell us a little bit more. Right. Okay. So, on top of being a psychologist and a clinician, I also train. I'm a trainer and a teacher. So, I do teach in a couple of places. In particular, I train with the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. So I'm contracted with them. I underwent, I went, I was doing a project with them, a research project, and it was culturally adapting cognitive behavioral therapy for the English speaking Caribbean community. So it was trying to understand this modality of therapy, which is a westernized uh, modality of therapy. How can it work for our community? So I was one of the principal therapists in that research project. And from there, a manual was also then created to sort of help other healthcare professionals to work with our community using this modality. With that, I've now been training other healthcare professionals and community health centers and other settings for several years since this project has has. Been, um, has been produced, which has also been an amazing journey. And I'm still training till this day. I have about, I think, three or four uh, community health centers or other, er other places that are now looking for this training as well. What's also fascinating is, is that I tell a lot of the clinicians that are working with this modality is, is that it is a modality. It may not be the only way. Put it in your toolbox, but then also there could be other ways that we can use to heal our community. Our community has so many resources. Yes, we're using this culturally adaptive piece, but please don't only think that this is the only thing. So I also talk about um, African and Black psychology as well. And how does that, you know, how can we use those, how can we use that to also heal our community as well? So that's another piece. So I also train 
and teach. And I also teach on cognitive behavioral therapy as well. I teach at the Adler School of Professional Psychology. I'm the 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 main uh, the main clinician or the main trainer for their cognitive behavioral therapy certificate program. So I also teach a lot of healthcare professionals as well as master students in that school. Wow, and that's another piece. <laughs> okay, then. Holy, like, good for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing within our community. We need more of you. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. And you know what? I, and I appreciate it. And I, I really do believe that it is our job as community to heal our community. Yes, it so is. It's been a journey to actually get here. It's not an easy road yeah. to actually get here. But I We're also want to be. Yes. I also want to. I want my life to be a testimony that it can be done a little unconventionally. So we'll talk a little bit about that later, but it can be done. And we do need more of us in whatever capacity to do the healing and not depend on other community. Absolutely. So we are going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Looking to consolidate your debt in the market to purchase your first home, interested in acquiring an investment property. Look no further. More Freedom is here to serve you. We aim to furnish our clients with the power and the confidence over their finances and a sense of accomplishment of taking the first step to get there. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at I Want More Freedom. And you can always connect with us via our website at morefreedom.ca. And we are back on the Make Your Mark talk show. And today we have Dr. Natasha Williams. And I said powerhouse before. I'm trying to think of a bigger word because the she, power is not even it. Like you are well-rounded, grounded in first yourself and then within your community. And with I could feel your energy you. of being so passionate about what you do. And, you know, they say passion drives success. Absolutely. Right. So and on that note, what would you say one of your biggest accomplishments has been? I would say one of my biggest accomplishments was right at the beginning of my career. A lot of times what we do as students is when you finish your doctorate, you believe that I'll just get a, a position or a job at the hospital or in corrections or something in an institution of some sort. I found out really quickly that I couldn't find work <laughs> when I mm. right when when I, when I was preparing to graduate. I could not find any work, so I was like, "My goodness, what am I going to do?" So it's either I find a job or I make a job. So I decided to start private practice as soon as I graduated. Now, mind you, when you graduate, you still have a year that you have to register with the College of Psychologists. You have supervisors. There's exams you have to take. But I decided right then and there that I'm going to be in private practice. So I've been in private practice from the day that I graduated. And it was one of the scariest things that I could have done because you're really a lot of times you're groomed to get a job at the hospital or, or community health center or something of that nature. I was very fortunate with the degree that I have that they gave us a little bit of business background training in terms of if you're going to be a clinician and in a private practice, then this is what you would do. But I really had to take that leap and say, let's go. And I've been in private practice ever since. So that was one of my biggest accomplishments. It was a scariest thing. One of the scariest things that I've done, but 
Through my life, I've learned to work through fear instead of avoiding fear. Because the more, more that you're able to work through it instead of avoiding it is when your accomplishments become bigger and bigger. So that lesson has been learned for a long time now. So I, and I can contest to that in terms of, you know, you're getting out into the world now as a psychologist and, you know, you have so many voices happening in your head, my credibility, who's going to come to me, who's going to trust me. And on top of that, then you have, now you're starting a new business, right? Exactly. So you have entrepreneurial life Thank you. and then you have the life of, am I qualified Cause you're just starting out, yep. right? Yep. So, you know, I'm now learning and navigating how to be a psychologist, but then also I need to be a businesswoman as well yes. and making sure that this business foundationally is set up appropriately mm-hmm. so that it's not set up to fail. Yeah. So I'm learning these two things. And then I have so many other hats at the same time. You know, I'm, I'm also the accountant. I'm also the secretary. I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm doing a million and one things at the same time, but you need to learn this and learn it quick yep. so that you make sure that this this foundation can be set so that I can be now in business for now 13 years. And it's yes. so funny to say 13 years, thinking that it's a long time when I go meet my other colleagues and they're like, oh, you're just a baby in the field. <laughs> okay, then 30 years or I'm like, okay, all right, that's all right. And you will get there, you know, Absolutely. but it's just, I can contest to that in terms of going from working within the corporate world and then right. becoming a full-time entrepreneur. Uh, and then you have these questions of doubt. That seep in. And you know, when you're under somebody else's roof, you can perform, you're running on wheels, you know, you're like, ah, we got this, we got this going on. But as soon as there's no roof. You've got to take care of yourself. What? You know, all of those safety nets are, Absolutely. are, are pretty much gone, right? I, I've had people say, you know, I just get comfortable, you know, having a paycheck every yes. two weeks and whatever. And I go, well, you've got to learn to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Exactly. And learn how and learn how to work through that discomfort really quickly, or else you will not progress to your next level. You can stay in that comfort and that's fine for you. But if you want to elevate to next levels, you better learn how to be comfortable being uncomfortable absolutely and it's it's the key because in what in the work that i do now especially with coaching Mm. i have i tell people this all the time they'll be like oh kim you know what you make things look so easy huh easy you don't have a clue but i have to I wouldn't, I don't live in fear. I face fear. Right. Right. I don't live in it. I face it. And I say, you know what? What is the other option here? The other option is going in and swiping in and investing into someone else. Thank you. That can tomorrow tell me that, you know what? Your services are no longer needed. That is my fear. That's it. So that's the fear. So that fuels my purpose every day that, you know what? I want to work on my legacy and not on yours. Amen. Absolutely. Right. So now on that note, let's talk about a time when you just felt like, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. Right. I don't want to be a psychologist. This is not for me. Right. Um, you know what? Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Okay. I'll start a little early on because okay. what happened was I completed my undergrad um, at York University. And again, usually the trajectory is you then apply, you do your, your GRE exam, which then you get a certain score. And then that should give you the opportunity to go to some other school. If not York, then U of T or whatever, and then do your master's. Do that. That's usually the trajectory that we've learned. And I learned really quickly. I had, I had high GRE scores and I think I applied to like 11 schools and none of them accepted me. 
So I sat there and I'm like, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? If I've just been rejected by all of these schools, what do I do now? And then as soon as I, I said that and sat back for a little bit, wondering what my purpose was, I found out about the Adler Institute or the Adler School of Professional Psychology. So I was like, okay, what is this school about? I don't know much about this school. Does this make sense? What was fascinating is when I was able to then research and understand that this school is, is based in Chicago, they actually have a campus up here, I'm able to work full-time, go to school full-time in the evenings, and be able to get a degree that is still credible. Because the other thing is that you may have all these other schools that pop up, but I needed to make sure that it would also fall in line with the College of Psychologists and, and that sort of thing. And knowing that I had the grades, it wasn't that they were just taking any and everybody, that I actually had the grades to actually get in and get my master's, be able to do my doctorate as well, you know, was, was amazing. So that was the first piece where I had to start thinking unconventionally to still get what I wanted. The second piece was to obtain my doctorate. I have what you call a PsyD. So I have a clinical doctorate in psychology versus a PhD, which is a, a doctorate in philosophy. And then from there, you then you have your focus on whatever you want to focus on. What was amazing. And so a PsyD is not offered in Canada. It is recognized in Canada, but they didn't have any training facilities for a PsyD. So I, went, I needed to go to the U.S. The school that I went to Campus is in Chicago, but I was also afforded the opportunity to live here, work here full time and go down there and be a full time student because the classes were evenings and weekends. So what I had to do or what I decided to do was live here and commute to Chicago every two weeks for three years. Now I was on a student budget, which means I took the Greyhound every two weeks for three years. To, to, to get this done. And then my final year, I was able to stay here, do my internship at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health and, and complete. So I really had to think about things in an unconventional manner, facing adversity in the midst of all of this. And a lot of it was also questioning some of my training as well, mm -hmm. because a lot of the training, especially when we were talking about cultural competency, and I put that in quotes and I'll roll my eyes a little bit, uh, because that, that, <laughs> that concept in and of itself is another show. But um, <laughs> Uh, I, I had to question a lot of that as well. So when I came back up here, I said, okay, I've got my degree. That's great, but I need to research because if I'm using that training to now try to heal my community, I'm pretty sure I'm going to do more harm. So I then had to educate myself and, and look and see what was out there and what did the community need as well. Because I mean, for me, my priority is the community, but I am a psychologist. I can treat anybody, but I know that our community need, has those needs as well. So literally it went back and forth for the three years, every two weeks, then becoming an intern at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, one of the first black interns as well and facing adversity there because the other six Caucasian interns did not believe I deserved to be there, that I was there just because I was black. Wow. So Natasha, from hearing your story and when we think about kind of going back to, you know, talking about becoming an entrepreneur, yes. your journey in actually even just your education started to prepare you to be an entrepreneur, Absolutely. right? Because as an entrepreneur, you will get 11, 15, 20 no's. You will get that. Very true. Right. And I say God works in mysterious ways because <laughs> he so knew true. what he was preparing you for. Absolutely. And that is the first test that was put towards you because it was like, you know what? Let me see if you're ready for this journey. 
Because isn't that number 11? Not too many people could take 11 no's. Oh, absolutely. Not too many people can trust me. Take 11 people telling them no. They would say, you know what? This is not for me. This is a sign. Right. Right. And even with that, then you're like, you know what? I'm going to persevere. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go to Chicago every two weeks on a Greyhound bus to pursue this because I believe it in my heart. I could feel it. Right. And then you were able to make it out. And that was his first test for you. That was your first obstacle that you had to face and you made it through. Absolutely. Oh, we are having some great conversation. Absolutely. Like you're talking real life. And I love how you are able to really show us the global perspective as opposed to just the local, like here's a situation, but really taking more of a a global approach with it Mm -hmm. and, and seeing how the narrative to your story is actually now fully coming to fruition. So what I'd like to get into now a little bit is what are your support systems? Like going through this journey, what has that looked like for you? Right. Support systems for me, first and foremost has been my faith. Faith has been so integral in in every aspect, in every piece of my life. And I know that if I didn't have that faith in God, uh, being raised in a Christian household, uh, understanding not only just being raised in a Christian household, but how I have my own personal relationship with God and what does that look like for me has been my rock and my, my, my place to go. Uh, throughout this whole journey because I've had so many different ups and downs. And if I didn't anchor myself in that support, uh, I definitely would not be where I am right now. I, using that as a foundation, I have an amazing family, siblings, uh, parents, uh, out, you know, extended family who have seen the journey that I've gone through, known what I've gone through, but have been there with me at all times. And I tell people, a lot of times you'll know who your supports are because they see your, some people see your glory and they don't know your story. But a lot of times the people that have seen your story and they still are with you, they are truly your friends. These are truly the people that are friends or family. Those are the true people that are your supports and that are by your side. With that as well, then my other supports is sort of also taking care of self. So it's great to have these, you know, social supports and outlets and my faith in God, my church, family, those types of things. But I also have to make sure that I need to take care of myself. And as a human being, you know, I fall short. But for me, it's important to ground myself in prayer, uh, in working out and eating well aiming to get some sleep. So just making sure that I put those in place as well, because an empty tank can't run. Mm-hmm. So I have to, you know, sometimes I take those steps back and what do I need to do to take care of myself so that I can support and do the work that the community needs. As well. Okay. Where do you find the time for all of that? This knowledge? Boy. <laughs> where, where, where do you find that time? I know. I know. Time is tough. Time, I mean, there's only 24 hours in a day. And I think as I get older, I have to learn that there are only 24 hours in a day. You need to use some of that to sleep. Yep. Um, so, And Rome wasn't built in a day. So I have all of these great things that are happening. I also realize that I can't do all of them at once. Um, so at the end of the day... I do what I can. And then when I go to sleep at night, I know that I've done what I can, but I know that there is tomorrow. And when I wake up thanking God that he's given me tomorrow, then I'm out again. Okay. And so you mentioned that you have like your, 
family, then you have extended family. So talk to us about um, your like a relationship. Like, do you have kids, a partner? Like, how does that work? Right. So I was married. So at a point in time, you know, I had I had my husband. I don't have any kids, uh, but and he was quite supportive at at a point in time. Um, I will never sit here and, and chastise him, you know, at all. But at a point in time, we you know we had a great relationship. I've known him for about twenty years. And unfortunately, what happened was in 2017, actually, I'll go back a little bit. We were trying to have a family. And what happened was infertility. Uh, And a lot of people don't like to talk about that as well. I think it's also taboo. But I, I am also a proponent of there's nothing that is shameful unless we create the atmosphere for it to be so. So I don't hide the fact that I was struggling with infertility for about eight years. We were trying to have a family. We went through a lot of the in vitro fertilization. I went through in vitro fertilization six times. And unfortunately, we were not successful. We went through um, IUI as well. So again, we went through all of these measures and then anything holistically. So homeopaths, naturopaths, uh, traditional Chinese medicine, acupuncture, you name it, I, we tried everything and it really wasn't happening. In the midst of all of that, you start to question yourself. Mm-hmm. You really start to wonder myself as a woman, I'm going, is this really meant for me? Um, is there something wrong with me? You see other, other people getting blessed and, and you really are, you, you're really struggling with, with this. And, you know, and you have a partner that wants to have children as well. So it wasn't a, one wanted to, one had the desire and the other one didn't. Both of us really wanted children. But around us, family, other siblings, they're getting married, having their children, and it's taking a toll on the marriage. To 2017, I got hit with a huge blow. And he came to me and he said, I'm having a, a child with another woman. And I said, I go, pardon me? <laughs> what are you talking about? And I just finished a round of my last round of in vitro fertilization. So, and I'll make a long story short, he basically had said that I need a child and we've been trying and I decided to broker a deal with another woman who I work with because she wants to have a child and I want one too. I told her I don't want to leave the marriage, but I need a kid. But, you know, since we're having this child together, you know, you can co-parent. And I said, pardon me. What? Yes. So I, you know, I was shocked because it came out of left field because we were still trying to have children. And I just finished a round of IVF. I was also hospitalized twice because of in vitro fertilization. Once was surgery. And the second time was my uh, ovaries were overstimulated. So going through all of this, my body going through so much, I gained about 70 pounds with all of the medications and that type of thing. So for him to come and tell me this, I said, I can't believe this. Unbelievable. But I stayed for a little while because I thought we can work out this marriage because we have all of these thought processes as Black Caribbean woman, Christian woman. You're supposed to stay through all of this adversity. And I stayed for a little bit, but it became clearer and clearer that, you know, he was in it only for himself. And he wanted me in the marriage still. But in my mind, it was for what I could give, not for loving me. because. I'm a doctor and I have, you know, I have financial means and, and, you know, she, she's so intelligent and, you know, this, so there was a lot of things that happened. So two months after he told me that I said, I'm leaving because I go, you really don't want me. You want what I can give you. And you never even thought of me when you brokered this deal. 
right? And this is how we presented it. I don't really think that that's what it was. He was having an affair for quite some time. And the baby wasn't a mistake. He planned it. But um, he also wanted to stay married. So I left. And uh, that was one of the toughest things to go through. And that's where you lean on your support systems. And I also had to thoroughly understand my relationship with God and not use Christianity or my religion to keep me in somewhere that God didn't want me to be in in the first place. So a lot of times we use our faith to beat up ourselves and make us feel that we are less than. But I had to recalibrate what my relationship was because I don't think I was fully hearing God. I was hearing what I wanted, what I believed I needed to hear or what I thought was right. And I had to go to a space where I was like, that's not what you want for me because God is not, a, is not a being who accepts mediocrity. And staying in that situation would have been staying in mediocrity and that wouldn't have been his best. And I see now why all of this had to happen. I don't even know the feeling to express that I'm feeling. If it's like, <laughs> I felt a time I wanted to cry. I felt like I wanted to vomit. Like, I, I honestly, I just didn't know what to feel. So I could only imagine what you felt. It like was, that is yeah. like, I'm like, it was a range of emotions. Trust me. It was absolutely. What? But I think again, when we talk about using your test as a testimony, I'm pretty sure we'll talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. Um, Girl, you've been tested. You, I have been tested and that's why I want to use a combination of my personal journey, faith and science to use my test as a testimony. I said powerhouse. <laughs> like, I did not know that at all. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, okay, we're going to take a quick break. But we got to get into we'll, this. We'll get back. We got to get back into this. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Tired of being tired? Seeking to build your self confidence? Are you feeling uncomfortable in your skin? It's time to move with Kim. Studies have shown that in this era of exponential growth of the metabolic syndrome and obesity, lifestyle modifications have been proven to be one of the most effective ways to improve your health and quality of life. Let's chat about your goals and how we will get you there. Send your inquiries to hello at kimniles.com Dot com and let's start conditioning your mental and physical health today. Hello and welcome back to the Make Your Mark talk show. Today we have a double powerhouse because <laughs> she's not just one. She's a double powerhouse. We have Dr. Natasha Williams in the house and we are having such a great conversation. And can I tell you, one of the things that I admire about you is your ability be, to be so vulnerable mm. and not, and be so unapologetic with it yeah. and also not being afraid of what people are going to think. And one of the things you said just before the break is you talked about, you know, we only have shame if we own that shame. Absolutely. And I just, just the story that you shared on your experience being married for such a time, I think it was over 20 was, years. I've known him for 20 years, okay. but we were married for just under 10. Married for, so you've known him for 20 years, 
married for just under 10 yes. and to have such a horrific because i was getting goosebumps i was like i thought of my time in the gym and i was like i didn't work out yesterday i felt i felt this inner rage coming out that i was like oh my god like seriously really and the way that you just packaged that and told your story and thank you Thank you. That's Thank all I can say. And one thing I will say, because my mind is just raging with so many thoughts. <laughs> one thing I will say is that, and I say this a lot when I speak in shelters, is you don't have to be, you don't have to give birth to be a mother. That's right. Absolutely. Right. You don't have to give birth to be a mother. And some people's purpose in life is just to give birth. Right. Absolutely. It is Absolutely. just to give birth. Right. That's their part that they were supposed to play in that child's life. That's right. So feel, I believe that no one should feel no shame right. from, I, from not having to go through that experience Thank you. because you can give right. so much more to a life without having to bring that life. Thank you. I think what's so interesting with that and what you've just said is, is that unfortunately in our society, there still is that culture of shame that is you are not a woman unless you have given birth, you know, to a child yourself. Um, and even if you've given birth, then, I mean, there's always these multi-layers of shame. Well, if you didn't give birth naturally and you had a C-section, then you didn't really give birth. And then you, we just keep on going. I think it came really to a head when uh, they had the story with uh, Gabrielle Union and Dwayne Wade. Okay. Because they had a surrogate because she was trying to have children. I think her book, and she's been very open about her struggles with infertility as well. And they ended up having a surrogate to have their child. And then she was then shamed on social media for not being a real mother because she didn't give birth to, to her, her now her daughter. And I'm like, look at this. We are in 2019 and there is still such a stigma and shame that's attached to a woman being a mother and, and that type of thing. So I, I think what's amazing is, is that as we're going forth, there's still, there's voices that are speaking to a lot of these topics to, you know, infertility and, and, and surrogacy and, 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 you know, adoption and all of these types of things, but that there is no shame that is tied to, you know, not giving birth. You don't, it, it being a woman and giving birth is, is, is part, but it's not the whole thing. You don't have to lose your sense of womanhood just because you have not given birth. So I'd love to really, um, you know, really, you know, talk about that um, as well. Again, there's no shame in that unless we decide that it is shameful. And the more things that we hide, stigma, mental health, mental illness, infertility, all of those types of things, the more that you hide it is the more shame that is attached to it because for some reason we're not supposed to talk about it. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. you. Like, I believe that he is using you mm -hmm. as a vessel. To yeah. really get the story out uh, and change the narrative. Absolutely. And if that was, and if that is my purpose on this earth, then you know, may God fulfill that purpose in me. And that's what I I, I strive to do every single day. Oh, precious. <laughs> so through this journey, yes, you curated an online masterclass. Yes, I did. Called Reclaim your voice reclaim your superwoman reclaim sorry yeah. reclaim your superwoman right and now when you said that to me yesterday when we had our chat i was like okay that sounds cool <laughs> 
right? It sounds cool. It's really good. But now I actually, it has meaning to me now. Yes. Because through this journey, you would have had to reclaim your superwoman. Absolutely. Because after someone tries to literally tear you down mentally and physically and emotionally, right. you really probably had to go through that process of reclaiming your superwoman. Yes. So tell us about that. Thank you. So absolutely. Uh, going through my journey, I had to go through these steps of these things myself. Um, being a clinician and a lot of times being trained as a psychologist, a lot of people think because you're trained, you know exactly what to do at all times. And they don't allow me my own humanness. Sometimes other people may not want to allow me my humanness. And in the midst of this, I really had to not only find my voice, but understand who I was as a woman and really try to carve out a path for myself, no apologies, no compromise. And that's where the, uh, the online masterclass came about. So it's a four-week online masterclass. It's through Zoom. So anyone around the world can take this course, even though I'm based in Toronto and it's done in Toronto time, anyone around the world can take this course. It is a four-week online masterclass where I'm helping women how to find their voice in the face of adversity. So, and initially it was curated just for people that were going through divorce, what I quickly found out is, is that I use the term divorce loosely because it's not just about divorce from a relationship. It's a divorce from mindsets that have been holding us back for a long period of time. So the first part of the course talks about uh, you know, what is this archetype of either the strong black woman, the strong black man, or the strong individual? And what are those archetypes that are holding us, or those mindsets that hold us back from being our best selves? Once we can identify them and understand where they have come from, a lot of times they've come from our upbringing. Our upbringing of who we are as a as a woman, as a black woman, as a black man, as a as a Christian person or person of faith, because I bring faith in this as well, because we you know we had our discussion talking a little bit about, you know, how the faith community also has a has a role to play in terms of a lot of the stigmas and the, the unhealthy mindsets that we sort of have in our minds as well. So being able to look at all of that and then looking at it from a psychological, scientific practitioner perspective and bringing in what I've learned over the years as a psychologist, bringing that all in to understand what these archetypes are, to blast them, giving us permission to do so, and then giving us again permission to curate them for ourselves. What does your superwoman look to you? So I usually tell people, especially in psychotherapy, when I'm working with people, take off the cape because that cape has been a chokehold for you for a long time. Let's set it down and we're going to now break it apart, put it back together in terms of what you want. No compromise, no questions asked. Understanding that a lot of times society has created a lot of this for ourselves and then you're going to put it back on. This is yours. No compromise, no questions asked. And this is now how you're going to set your feet on this journey. Understanding that you will have adversity because society might be telling you something different. Let's debunk some of those myths now and provide you with the strength that you need to overcome that. So four weeks is a very short amount of time to do this. It's a two hour online but what my hope is, is that in those four weeks, anyone who registers for this course, it gives you the foundation to be able to then chart your course. So it's two hours online. On top of that, you also get a workbook. 
that is that is sent to you so that you've got personal projects that you do week to week to sort of solidify some of the lessons learned. And then also you are eligible to be in a private Facebook group where whomever is registered for the course that, for that module can then support one another. And as well, I will go, I'll go in as well to be part of the discussion so that people can then ask questions, have their questions answered. So they also have access to me outside of that two hour, um, that two hour class as well. Wow. Wow. Natasha, <laughs> you have been com- com- become closer to my heart in an hour than anyone has. Oh my goodness. Like, I appreciate this. This, you're, like, what you did is you packaged what was happening with you and you found your healing in serving by creating something that can also help other women that are in the same place that you are because you potentially went out seeking something to help you and there was nothing there. Absolutely. So you believe me now when I said he's using, God is using you as a vessel to pave the path and really give voice to those that have lost their voice or whom have never claimed their voice in the first place. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you do so much. And I'm like, I want to continue on the superwoman, but I also know you have a book that's selling yes, author. Do. Yes, I do. So, um, also part of this journey as well is the book is called Carpe Diem. And this book is myself. I've contributed a chapter. There's 24 other women in the, in this book as well. And what we talk about is how did we seize the day, claim our voice. So it also forays very well uh, into sort of my life journey. My chapter is called the archetype and the stigma. And basically it's looking at the archetype of the strong black woman. What does, what did that look like in my life? But then also how did that impact the, the dialogue that we've had in the black community regarding mental health and mental illness. So that chapter sort of tries to capture all of that using some aspects of my life. Um, my mother who, uh, unfortunately she died of breast cancer when I was 13, but what her impact was in my life and also looking at how her definition of the strong black woman entered into my life and how I really tried to use that archetype for myself and also being able to understand how that forayed into my path in terms of becoming a psychologist, as well as understanding the stigma of mental health and mental illness within our community. So it's a, it was a fascinating journey to write that chapter as well. But I also, yes, I have that book is available as well um, you know, for purchase for other women to see not only my journey, but other, other women's journeys as well. Awesome. So Natasha, you've taught us so many lessons throughout this entire segment, what would be three things that you'd want to leave our viewers with? Like three lessons, three messages that you've learned that you believe that, you know, helps you to reclaim Mm. yourself. Right. Oh my goodness. Just three. (laughs) I know. I I was going to say one. I said, okay, let me just give her three. Just, you know, you know, it's tough because I think a lot of the messages um, meld into one another. Um, The first one was what we said earlier about the, the concept of shame. And I think a lot of times where shame comes in is when we, when we've decided that we need to hide something that we need to put something in the closet, in the shadows, because we're worried about what other people are going to think or how society is going to view us. So 
being able to give voice to your adversity absolutely provides you with more power versus it. So that's the first thing is, is that being able not to feel shame for those things. I think the second thing is, is to have individuals own their voice. No compromise. I always put the no compromise at the end of it, because I think a lot of times we are trying to be somebody that we are not. Or if we're trying to strive to be the superwoman, superman, what we do is we don't allow ourselves the permission to be human beings and to have stress adversities, you know, and, and those kinds of things. And if there's if there's a last piece um, is. Own your truth. Own your truth. Uh, I think it's so important that, you know, you own your own voice, your own truth, chart your own course, and don't allow others to dictate that for you. Because I think a lot of times the people that are closest to us, we believe that they're the ones that are dictating what our path is going to be. And once you learn to break out of that and to actually seek God first, because God is the one that implants whatever it is in your heart to provide the abundance that you desire. And if we decide to seek him first, then everything else falls into place. So people can tell you a whole ton of lies and stuff, but when you're rooted in him, what happens is, is that you know that it's lies and it's immediately, it's immediately things that you can push aside. So you want to make sure you own your own voice and seek him first. Natasha, I appreciate you. Thank you. I, I appreciate being here. I great. sincerely appreciate you. You have blessed my heart. Oh. And I know that you have blessed our viewers. And wow, like you are a superwoman. Thank you. You are. Thank you. So how can our viewers reach you? Like, what are your platforms? I know you got a Facebook. Like, tell us. Right. Like, they, need to, <laughs> they need more of you. Right. So I, so I have a website. So uh, www.drnatashawilliams.com. We can start there. That's my website. You can also catch me on Facebook, Dr. Natasha Williams. I'm also on LinkedIn as well, Dr. Natasha Williams. And I'm also on Instagram as well. It's Natasha S. Williams. So these are the ways that you can get me. And then if you want to contact me um, at my office, a part of Allied Psychological Services, 416-487-0791. And or if you are wanting to get to me individually, either to book me for keynote speaking or to purchase a copy of my book or whatever the case may be, I'm at 416 420-3834. Awesome. Girl, you'd make an amazing keynote speaker. I'm amazing. Blessing. Amazing. Because you do have specialty in public speaking. And yes, I'm 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 part of I'm a member of the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers. So I also make sure that that's also part of, of where I want I would love for God to lead me. Awesome. Well, bless your heart. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Make Your Mark talk show today. I know the gems were dropped every second of this show. So make sure you watch this not once, not twice, but at least three times to make sure you capture everything. Until next time, make sure to follow us on Instagram at makeyourmark.ca. You can find us on Facebook as well at makeyourmark.ca. And you logged in to watch this though, so you know we are at www.makeyourmark.ca. Till next time. You've been listening to the Make Your Mark podcast. You can visit our website and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at makeyourmark.ca 
and please subscribe, rate, and review.